0: Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com.
1: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nuji Dean. Today is Thursday, February 9th. Coming up, for the first time, the Super Bowl will feature two black starting quarterbacks. We'll hear more about why this lineup is historic. Plus, George Thoma's reputation as a top-notch groundskeeper has earned him an invitation to his 57th Super Bowl in a row. As for who he's rooting for, the league's commissioner had this message for the Kansas City resident.
2: He told me that I can't stick up for the Chiefs. He said, George, you work for the league, the league pays you, you gotta be neutral.
1: We'll learn about Kansas City's 94-year-old groundskeeper known as the Sodfather. But first, some headlines. Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas announced in his State of the City speech yesterday that the police department will receive $280 million for the upcoming year. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal has more. That proposed budget is an increase from last year's KCPD budget. Lucas says the increase will go toward more officers and 911 call dispatchers. A recent shortage in dispatchers has caused longer response times. Some funding will go toward improving police-community relations.
0: We ask that they continue the important work to ensure that that which we just saw in Memphis would and could never happen in Kansas City.
1: The KCPD recently agreed to a $5 million settlement to the family of Terrence Bridges Jr., a black man killed by police in 2019. And Lucas has made his third Super Bowl bet in four years in favor of the Kansas City Chiefs, this time with Philadelphia. In the event of a Chiefs loss against the Philadelphia Eagles, Lucas promised Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney a platter of Gates' barbecue, as well as products from The Roastery, Boulevard Beer, Guy's Snacks, and Charlie Hustle. Barbecue owner George Gates says he takes a little bit of credit for the team's success.
2: Allow the Chiefs come to Gates and so you know that's what makes them win in addition to hard work, practice and a good coach and a good team.
1: While Gates says he likes the traditional wager of barbecue, he doesn't predict he'll need to send anything after this Sunday's game. We'll be back after this. You listen to Kansas City Today every day because we're your local, reliable news source. You take us seriously. But now it's time to have some fun. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's going to be bumping. you got to be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. George Toma has been a household name in groundskeeping since the Kansas City A's were in town. He started working with the Kansas City Chiefs during their first year here in 1963. Toma has also worked with the NFL for every single Super Bowl, including this year's in Arizona. Now 94, Toma has planted the seeds for top notch groundkeepers who followed his work. Greg Eklund spoke with him for KCUR in Glendale, Arizona.
2: I'm a coal miner from Pennsylvania, and when my dad died when I was 10 years old, I had to get a job. When I was 12, I got a job with my neighbor, who was a groundskeeper for the Wooksbury Indians owned by the Cleveland Indians, and from there I went on. When I was 16, a senior high school, Bill Beck bought the Cleveland Indians and made me the head keeper at 16 years old. Then I went on from there. and here's where I landed today. There's my cane, and I'm on the cane, but I'm still going, and this is my son, Ryan. Uh, He's 39 years old. He's a Delta airline pilot, so he takes a little time off to be with me, and with me using a cane, he helps me a lot. Now, you have said that grass's worst enemy are the feet. Right. Yet you're going to have
3: rehearsals and all
2: kinds of, th- how will this field hold up through all that? Well, actually, I hate to say this, but the halftime shore is more important than the game. You know what I mean? Saturday, we started have rehearsals. So we covered the field with a field cover, and after that first rehearsal, we noticed that they are making so quick turns, they're hurting the grass a little bit. So now we had to put a geotextile on there and an Inca mat to help protect it a little bit. Back at the Super Bowl in uh, Miami, the Chiefs and uh, the 49ers, I uh, talking to the commissioner, and I uh, says, Commissioner, I'm sticking up for the Chiefs today. Me and Lamar Hunt were so close. Uh, this way... Uh, he told me that I can't stick up for the Chiefs. He said, George, you work for the league, the league pays you, you gotta be normal. I mean, neutral. I worked for the Kansas City Chiefs from 1963 until 1989. And I've been away from the Chiefs for 35 years. And that fall, they called me up and said, we like to see at our office. I went out there, and Norma Hunt presented me with a Super Bowl ring after being away for 35 years, and I only live two and a half hours from Philadelphia. That's a born and raised, and uh, I always rooted for the Eagles when I was nine, ten years old. My uncle would take me down to Shibe Park to see the Phillies play and the Eagles play, and. Uh, if I had two hearts, one would be with the Chiefs and one would be with the Eagles. Uh, we have people here, now Randy Baker, who is their head groundkeeper for Belton High School. This is his 24th Super Bowl. The first Super Bowl, I took him to Pasadena uh, when he just out of high school. And we have a very good groundkeeper at the Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Hogan and Travis is out here. And when Travis came here, he brought all his electronic equipment and he has it on the field. I never stepped on better grass in 81 years in this game as I step on when I go to Arrowhead.
1: That's groundskeeper George Toma speaking with Greg Eklund for KCUR. This Sunday's Super Bowl will be the first to feature two black starting quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs and Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a historic moment for a league that used to have racially segregated teams and often excluded black players from certain positions. NPR's A. Martinez spoke with Jason Reed, author of the book Rise of the Black Quarterback, about the history of black players in the NFL and what this game will mean for football and the country.
3: Jason, so let's just start with the word quarterback. I mean, what kind of things do people think of or feel when they imagine what a quarterback is, what that word means?
0: Well, you know, quarterback is a uniquely American leadership position, but if you take it away from the football field, when we say quarterback, if you are the quarterback of a company's uh, project, uh, a project that the company needs. Well, the quarterback is the one who's supposed to lead everybody and make the project successful. If you're going in for a medical procedure and you know it, it's, it's dicey and there are a lot of doctors involved and you know your health is riding on the line, the lead doctor is the quarterback. When we think of quarterback in American culture, we think of the best, we think of the brightest, we think of the person around whom everyone else rallies.
3: Yeah, charismatic, athletic, smart, hotshot, like big man on campus, right? Multitasker. So let me ask you this then, Jason. What were some of the ways black quarterbacks were described in the pre Super Bowl era? Because I, you know, a lot of times those words that I just mentioned weren't describing black quarterbacks.
0: No, not at all. And, you know, really, before the Super Bowl era, there were a few black quarterbacks in the NFL, but it really wasn't until the late 1960s and the 1970s where you actually saw, you know, black quarterbacks who were actually getting an opportunity to really play, and and why is that? Well, in the NFL, black quarterbacks from college were just, as a rule, converted to other positions, wide receiver, defensive back predominantly. And that was because the people who controlled the NFL, the, the the white men who were the owners and the executives and the coaches, they felt black men were inherently inferior, that black college quarterbacks, in their minds, could not lead white players in the NFL, and, and they just weren't smart enough.
3: At the time, the rosters were majority white. I mean, right now it's different. Right now, 80% of NFL rosters are black. But back then, I think, I mean, that was something that they really thought about. I mean, that this black man could not be entrusted to lead white men on the field of battle.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'll take it even a step further. Not just could they not be entrusted, but that white men would not follow black men. So it wasn't even something that was discussed. It was just something that was understood.
3: When was it that the NFL finally considered the possibility that black men could indeed play quarterback?
0: A lot of people like to point to Doug Williams' incredible performance in the Super Bowl for the then Washington Redskins over the Denver Broncos back in 1988. And that was the first time where people who were in positions of power in the NFL actually thought, well, wait a minute, this guy just had this incredible performance. He's a black quarterback. He was the MVP of the game, first black quarterback to start in a Super Bowl and win the game's MVP award. But other people thought, well, this is maybe just a one-off. Well, then Warren Moon comes down from Canada. Warren Moon, who was not drafted in 1978, despite being a Pac-8 conference. Co-player of the year, led Washington to a Rose Bowl victory, doesn't get drafted, goes to Canada, has a great career. He comes down, you know, in, in, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, and starts having, you know, big numbers. And Randall Cunningham, the quote-unquote ultimate weapon, he starts out in Philadelphia He's a second-round draft pick, you know, early 1990s, and he takes off. So then you start to see the people who control the league think, well, wait a minute. Doug Williams did this in the Super Bowl. Warren Moon has been a Pro Bowl was successful. Randall Cunningham, we can't stop this guy. And then in 1999, for the first time, three black quarterbacks were selected in the first round of the NFL draft. Donovan McNabb, Dante Culpepper, and Achilles Smith. Then in 2001, Michael Vick is the first overall pick in the draft, first black quarterback to be taken there. And then by that point, you start to see more of acknowledgement that, look, these guys are here and they can play. And we've, if they can help us win, we need to let them do that.
3: Ten years ago in New Orleans, in the Super Bowl, Colin Kaepernick, when he was quarterbacking the 49ers, he rallied his team. They were down 22 points in the third quarter to the Baltimore Ravens. That was Super Bowl Forty Seven. They wound up losing, fell short by only three points. In 2016, Kaepernick started protesting the national anthem to bring attention to police brutality toward Black people in the U.S. That pretty much ended his playing career. Do you think that if somehow Colin Kaepernick were a Super Bowl champion, if he had that on his resume that the way his protest was processed and reacted to would have been different somehow?
0: Yeah, I I do, because, you know, the the test for me is if Colin Kaepernick had been Patrick Mahomes, I still believe he would be in the NFL. So, you know, when we talk about how quarterbacks are looked at, what I try to tell people is there has never been a better time in the NFL for black men who aspire to play quarterback. These guys are the faces of franchises. They have massive endorsement deals. They have the biggest contracts. But progress is not perfection. And when you look at the standard, how people are, are perceived. Patrick Mahomes addressed this in the preseason this year when he said that, you know, some of the criticism of me and Lamar is different, Lamar Jackson, is different than some of the criticism of people who don't look like us. So yeah, I definitely think that there is a different way perceptions are processed.
3: And on the word progress, Doug Williams called this year's Super Bowl between Patrick Mahomes and and Jalen Hurts. He called it progress. And I think about the title of your book, Jason, The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. So then when we all tune in to watch with millions of others that Sunday, when it's the Chiefs taking on the Eagles, and we see two black men leading their NFL teams in the Super Bowl, what will it mean for America?
0: Well, what it means is is that you now are at a point where black men in the NFL, but also in a much bigger context, are reaching levels that they were denied even competing for previously, and they're reaching there just because of the opportunity that they finally got to show, hey, I can do this on my merit. I have the ability. I have the intellect. I have the leadership skills. You know, you look at America. Barack Obama was the first black president in the United States, but there were other black men before Barack Obama who had the ability to succeed at the highest levels possible, but they were denied the opportunity to compete. So when you see those two black quarterbacks on the field, what you have to realize is look, this could have happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but it didn't because they didn't have the opportunity. So opportunity in America, when anyone in America gets an opportunity, anyone among us can rise up and succeed.
1: That was Jason Reed, author of the book, Rise of the Black Quarterback, speaking to NPR's A. Martinez. This is Kansas City Today, I'm Nomi Nugia Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Greg's story on George Toma and NPR's story on this Sunday's starting quarterbacks, visit KCUR.org, where you can find more Super Bowl coverage from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.